Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out at our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. So, uh, welcome. Glad you're here. You all right? Yeah, my name's Doyle. I work here. And uh, if you're new, we're glad you're here. Hope you... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, here's something that encourages you today or maybe challenges you, and, and uh, yeah. So a lot of good things happening this week. Just a uh, little heads up. <clears throat> we have uh, VBS with hundreds uh, of kids. I'm 600, I'm guessing, maybe better than that. And uh, so we're very excited to be prayer for the, all those people who work with those kids. Uh, they're going to need some energy. Uh, <clears throat> also, we have junior high camp this week. Pray for those counselors. They're going to need lots of energy and patience and uh, maybe supernatural love. And uh, so all kinds of fun things. We have a, a camp out coming up for families here on the campus, and uh, you want to know about that? So we're in a series right now, and it's about uh, summer stories. And we've been looking at uh, the the, um, the book of Joshua, in which uh, Joshua is uh, leading uh, the, the children of Israel, uh, Israelites, into the promised land that God had promised them. Um, <clears throat> last week, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about remember, remember that God has been good. Uh, and then last week, we talked about recognize that God is at work even in your life now. And this week, I want to talk about uh, uh, that we release the future. So we don't worry about the future, we release it to God. But I want to clarify some things about who, who and why and how we release the future to God. And we can live without worry because we released it. There are some understandings that uh, we need in order to get there. Otherwise, it's just superficial silliness. So, uh, so uh, for those of you who are not kind of church types or biblical uh, uh, Bible readers, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so here's what happened. Uh, there are these people. God made an agreement with them. They would be his people. He'd be their God. Uh, then Joseph uh, gets sold into slavery and ends up in Egypt. And a famine comes. Eventually his whole family comes there. And the Israelites survive because they are in Egypt. But they stay there way too long. They become enslaved. And um, Charlton Heston has to lead them out. And so Charles and Hester comes and leads them out across the Red Sea, and he leads them across into the desert. God brings them to back to the land they started in, uh, the land of Canaan, and uh, they say, no, we can't go in there because we look like grasshoppers. That's what they said, we look like grasshoppers. Uh, talk about bad self-image. Anyway, and, uh, and they say, we're not going in, so God says, fine, you're going to die in the desert. So that whole generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, two of the guys who said, we could definitely go in. Um, they die in the desert and Moses dies in the desert and God says, okay, now it's time because they're all dead and gone. You guys, the next generation, you have enough faith to do what I tell you to do. And so they go in to take over the promised land. They have to defeat the, the cities, the people living there. And, uh, Joshua is leading them. So you're up to date. You're caught up. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so now we pick this up, uh, where, um, Joshua has, uh, has just uh, uh, defeated uh, a, a, a town, a city, walled city called Jericho, uh, and it's not very far across the Jordan River, and, um, and he defeated them in the most unusual way. He marched around, and, uh, and the walls fell down, and, and so it was, kind of, it was a God thing. It's just basically the God thing. So the point of the story of Israel, the story of humanity, the story of our life is, is your life a God thing or not a God thing? And if we're going to say that we can release the future into God's hand, we need to make sure our life is a God thing. And how we do that is through a thing called a covenant. Now, 
I gave this talk last night. I was very excited about it. I didn't know where I was going to start. Wasn't sure what was going to be in the middle. Didn't know where I was going to end. But it turned out pretty good until I got home and then the rest of my family told me it didn't turn out so good. But I'm going to do it again So, because uh, I really liked it. But I'm going to try to clarify it a little bit. So here's the word for today, covenant. Okay, I'm going to tell you up front what we're going to talk about. So here's the thread. I want you to try to follow through this entire thing is the word covenant. All right? Uh, so listen for it so I don't lose it like I did last night, evidently. All right, here's what I have right here is a, uh, a, a piece of pottery. It is, how old is it? We decided, these guys are with me. We did the, how much? 2,000. 2, it's got to be more than 2,000 because it wasn't from the time of Christ, was it? So we're having a debate. We can't remember. We're in this dig and there's several layers and we're trying to figure out which one it was. Anyway, it's really old. It's really old, okay? And it's thin, so it's probably made somewhere else, not in Israel, probably somewhere in the North Mediterranean area. And it's really old. And uh, we were on a dig, and, and I, I stole it. I stuck it in my pocket and walked out. It's not true. They, at the end, they had baskets of it, and they said you could take some because they weren't important. So anyway, so now I show you that because I want to tell you about an archaeological discovery that happened uh, in uh, three years ago, all right? So and, uh, and so this, this is a different kind of uh, story, not, not the same place, different place, all right? But it relates directly to our passage here, all right? Matter of fact, let me, let me read this for you, all right? So it's found in, in Joshua chapter 8, and it's, uh, um, sorry. Uh, so there's this point, I missed miss this one this is what I get for editing my own sermons. All right, let me get it to you here. So here's what happens. There is this, there is this uh, ceremony, a renewal ceremony that happens. And it's found in, in um, uh, 8.30. And it says, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord and the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones of which no iron had been used, on it, they uh, offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrifices and fellowship offerings. So Mount Ebal is what I was trying to get out of that passage. So here's what happens. Uh, back in the 80s, I mean, before I tell you, let me tell you something else. Uh, my wife and I got married uh, 41 years ago, and it has been nothing but bliss <laughs> every day for her. <laughs> now, here's the reality. Uh, marriage is hard. And it's difficult, but you, you stick with it because you made a covenant. It's called a marriage ceremony. Do you, for as long as you shall live, <laughs> and I do. Do you, for as long as you, I do. You know what that's called? That's called a covenant. That's an agreement. Now, if you ever heard me teach uh, pre-marriage or anything or, or young marriage, I always use this phrase. I use it all the time because it's one of the, I think it's one of the best things you can learn in marriage or in any relationship for that matter. It's called agreed upon expectations. Uh, you've heard me tell the story over and over again at nauseum, but my wife and I got married, came back from a honeymoon, uh, went to our third story walk-up apartment uh, at the end of the day, um, got in bed uh, to go to sleep, and I said, honey, you left the lights on, and I think you left the door unlocked, and she said, no, you left the lights on, and you left the door unlocked, and I said, what are you talking about? My mom always turned the lights off and locked doors before she went to bed, and she said, my dad always turned the lights off and locked doors before she went to bed, and so we slept with the lights on, doors unlocked for about three weeks. <laughs> Now, I don't even want to tell you what happened with the garbage, but it got really smelly before that one got resolved. Because we didn't have an agreed upon expectation of whose job it was to turn the lights on and lock the door, right? And so we had to agree whose job is it based on whatever, whatever criteria we kept up. We had to agree on that. And here's what happens. When you agree on that, it presses into a little brick of the building of your relationship. 
Then we talk about how do you handle the money? And, and then we talk about how are we going to, I don't know, later on, discipline the kids or whatever it might be. And so all these agreed upon expectations are the building blocks of a relationship. All right? You could call these agreed upon expectations covenants. Right? This is how we're going to, this is how we're going to go forward. This is what we're going to do. We agree on this thing. Okay. So now back to this other thing. Uh, It's also true. It's a true in business. The more you can line out who's going to do what, you know, I'm going to give you this. You're going to pay me this. That's a covenant, a contract, right? It works in every relationship. Now, so back to this, back to the the archaeology. So there's a guy in the 80s. He was a a, a man from Israel. Uh, He's an atheist, uh, self-admitted, but he's an archaeologist. And so he went to uh, this this, uh, Mount Ebal, uh, which is kind of in central uh, West Bank. It's about 3,000 feet, I think, if I remember right. And right across from it is Gearsum, or Gearsum, I think it's called, is another mountain. There's two mountains here. And so in Deuteronomy 11, around verse 29, I think, if I remember right, um, Moses says, before they come into the promised land, you guys are going to the promised land, and when you get there and things are going well for you, I want you to, I want you to do something here. Because everything that's going to happen in Israel is based on God's power, not your might. So they're outgunned, they're outmanned, they shouldn't have been able to take over this, this country, except God was on their side. Just like with Jericho, that victory was a God thing, it wasn't a military thing, it was a God thing. Right? The military was involved, they, all this stuff, but it was a God thing. And so there was this contract, this covenant between God and Israel. You are my chosen people. I will be your God. You'll be my people. Okay? You follow me so far? So Moses sets in place that when they get into the promised land and it's going well, that they would come and that they would come to these two mountains and that they would build an altar on... Uh, Mount Ebal, and that they would do this, this antiphonal thing on these two mountains, so having to do with this, this contract or this covenant with God. So in chapter 8, we find that they do just that. As a matter of fact, this guy from the 80s started digging on Mount Ebal, and he discovers an altar. It's obviously a religious kind of uh, site of some sort. If you'll notice in the passage, it says that the altar should be built out of uncut stones, meaning they weren't allowed to do any masonry work on them. They were just to stack them as they were. And what they found on Mount Ebal was this altar area, the clearly religious uh, site, and it was uncut stones. And so this guy thinks, I found Joshua's altar. Okay? Now, there's no way to absolutely proved it. Carbon dating uh, shows, and if I remember right, is about 1400 BC, if I remember right. And so, they, so that's cool. Interesting. So everybody's, okay, that might be, might not be, but it's interesting. So uh, more recently, another archaeologist comes, and uh, this person happens to be a Christian. I don't know that it's relevant, but I just thought I'd mention it. And they decide to um, to re-examine some of the, the cast offs from the original research. And so there's some here who went with us the last time Israel and dig, did a dig and you do this sifting and it falls through and then, you know, you pick out what's left and you just dump the rest over the side. Okay. Right. So there was two spots where they dumped the rest over the side, two dump sites. And they started going through them with, with better, a uh, better sorting mechanism. One is wet, wet sifting and the other is dry sifting. And so they started sorting through these. And three years ago, a volunteer working with them discovers a little tiny piece, just 
just a little tiny piece. And they knew immediately it was something of significance because it, it, it was able to be dated back to the same time. And, and, and so what happened is it's a piece of lead. And this piece of lead is a little tiny piece and it's folded in half. Folded in half may be a critical thing because they haven't released yet what they think the outside might say. But on the inside where it's undisturbed, they have found lead and they've been able to scan it somehow. Don't ask me how you scan lead. I don't know, but like a body scan, but for lead. I don't know. But in, somewhere in Europe. And they're able to scan it and they figured out what it says inside. Now, it says, curse, curse, curse. Be cursed by the God Yahweh. And then it says a similar kind of thing again. I think there's 26 words altogether. So you're going, okay, that's kind of interesting, I guess. I don't know. So let me, let me tell you, in Joshua, they're doing what, what Moses said to do in Deuteronomy. They're coming back together and they're renewing their covenant with God. I'll be your God. I'll be your God. You'll be my people, right? So what, what happened and what Moses' instruction was, here's the rest of the story. On Mount Ebo, where the, where the appropriately the altar is, the altar for sacrifice, for forgiveness of sins, all this kind of stuff. On that side, half of Israel, and Moses said which tribes, were to stand and to pronounce the curses, the bad things would happen if they broke their covenant with God. And on the other mountain, the other half of the tribes of Israel stood and proclaimed the blessings that if they kept the covenant with God. So here God promised them all this stuff, the land of milk and honey, all this kind of stuff. And so these guys would say a blessing. These guys would remind him of the downside of not following God. These guys are the upside. You, you follow what I'm saying? So what this little, this little piece of lead was, it's, it's from a mine in Greece somewhere, they found out. It's dated back to 1400. And what it is, it's a reminder of what this side was saying. By the way, notice, interesting, that the altar is on the side of the curses, because you needed forgiveness, right? But that comes, that's the last thing I'm going to talk about today, so remember that part. You follow me so far? So just like if um, my wife would daily bring our wedding uh, uh, certificate and just remind me. Now, fortunately, she didn't have to because I just worship the ground she walks on, and I'm an incredible husband. But... So, and this, this particular finding is under peer review, so it's just in the beginning stages of proving its authenticity. But if indeed this is Joshua's altar and this little tablet is a reminder of the renewal ceremony they had there that day, that would be kind of amazing, wouldn't it? No? I think it would. By the way, it's, important. it's an important discovery if it is true for several reasons. Uh, some are political, and I won't get into that part of it. It's found on the West Bank. But some, uh, many scholars don't believe that, uh, that the people of Israel had a written language until much later. But this is proof. It's, 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 it's proto-alphabetic Hebrew, I think. In other, it's part hieroglyphics from Egypt that they brought with Egypt, and part this new language they're learning to write. And it's the earliest, by several hundred years, of an example of that. And so there are some scholars who suggest, well, Moses never existed. They just made him up and all this kind of stuff. But this is very, and it also says the name of God, which in Hebrew would be Yahweh, and they don't use the vowels. So it's a very early, early proof that people were worshiping monotheism, the God, very early on. But for our purposes today, it is proof that our relationship with God is based on an agreement. Saying, okay, what does that have to do with anything? All right, here, I'm going to bring this home for you. 
It makes sense, I hope. If not, my family was right. Okay, so. <laughs> so, I hate empty words. Maybe because I use a lot of words and it can be really tempting to just throw empty words on. You know, years ago, I was going through a tough time. A friend of mine said, you know, things have a way of working out. I said, oh, okay, good. I felt better until I got home and went, says who? What are you basing that on? What are you, what are you basing? Are you basing that on data somewhere? I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the studies. Things, cemeteries full of people who it didn't really work out so well for. <laughs> and so when I stand up and say the topic for today, which is we can trust God with our future, you should be saying based on what? Why do you say that? Because, you know, things have a way of working out. and You know, things happen for a reason. Yeah, they do, usually because we screwed up. Right? So we live in a world of empty words. People are making up empty words, just making up stuff, saying stuff. And I'm like, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. <laughs> I want something substantial. If I'm going to trust my future to someone or something, why? Why should I? What is that based on? So a covenant is promises of God that he will be in charge of your future. But it's not just that simple. Because you want to say, okay, God, you're in charge of my future. We're good. No, 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 no. A covenant has two sides to it. We only run and remember God's side. So again and again in scripture, he says, I will be your God, you'll be my people. And we're like, yes. But you ever notice what else it says? Let me just read a few of them for you real quick. Just so you get that there's two sides to this deal. Listen to this. Um, in, in Jeremiah 7, 23, uh, here's, here's what it says. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. But let me read the words just before that. Obey me and I will be your God and you'll be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. Oops. See, we only want the one mountain. We only want the blessing mountain. We don't recognize that if we don't follow God, things will not go well for you. See, here's the deal. All of life is a struggle. All of history has been a struggle. Am I going to be under self-rule or God's rule? Am I going to be my own king, my own director, my own guide, or am I going to be under submission to God? If I want God to be in charge of my future, guess where I need to be living? Over here. <laughs> I need to be in submission to God. Because if I'm not in submission to God, I'm not doing life God's way. And I'm not, I'm not saying perfection. I'm saying as best I can with God's help. If I'm doing life God's way and that's supporting my, that's what I, then I have, I have a perfectly good reason to believe God will be in charge of my future. But if I'm over here doing my, my own life my own way, why would I think God wants to be in charge of my future? God, take care of me. Yeah, I know I'm not doing life your way, but just take care of the outcomes. No, no, you're over here. You're in charge of the outcomes too. Right? Does this make sense? This is going to be an ugly sermon, by the way. I, I didn't warn you yet. I didn't warn you. Huh, funny. Okay. But if I'm living over here and I'm in agreement with God, I'll be your God. You'll be my people, but you've got to be obedient. See, that's the kicker right there. You've got to do life my way. Otherwise, you are unblessable. Let me, let me just point out some things about this. All right? Let me, let me just finish up this thought here. Um, most places in the Old Testament, it says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. Um, it, is, it, is, um, it is accompanied by, if you'll be obedient. Here's what it says in Romans 8, 28, in the New Testament, in the new, a, new, a new covenant, a new agreement with God because of what Christ did. Listen to this. And we know that all things God works for the good of, 
for all things, God works the good. That's a great blessing right there. Listen to the rest of the passage. For those who, uh, who, who love him and have been called according to his purpose. He says, my sheep will know my voice. They will follow me. You want God to be in charge of your outcomes? There's a prerequisite. So we'll get to this here in a second. Um, let me just point out a couple things. If you want to trust God with the future, and, and, and just realize that there's some requirements involved. Um, the greatest thing was said that could be said about an individual was said about Joshua in, in 6, 20, in 27. So the Lord was with Joshua. When he defeated Jericho, when he won in Jericho, the Lord was with Joshua. Um, here's what we need to do. If we have an agreement, we must live up to that agreement every day. We must choose to do life God's way. And so God says, uh, we got unconventional warfare going to happen here. You're going to go to Jericho. You're going to blow the trumpets. The walls are going to fall down. And he did it God's way. We also need to not only live up to the agreement as best we can with God's help, live life God's way. We need to reaffirm that relationship. We need to remember again and again, God, you're the one that I'm following. You're the partner I, I have in life. And, and, and so here's what happened. Uh, Stepping back from that recommitment ceremony that happens in chapter 8, back in chapter 6, he, beats, he defeats Jericho. But in chapter 7, he immediately defeats Jericho, and then he says, and I sent spies, I sent spies to in this town called AI, artificial intelligence. It's, that's what the spies came back with, by the way. Um, I sent spies. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Uh, he kind of had forgotten that he was in partnership with God, and this is the first time where he says, I sent spies. So Joshua sent spies. Not Joshua under God's guidance. Not Joshua having prayed. Not Joshua having been told by God to send spies. Joshua. So he slipped to the wrong side. He slipped over here where he was in charge. Happens to us every day, doesn't it? I, you know, I, I, I trust my feelings. I trust the, my anger. I try, uh, no, I'm in partnership. I want to live over here, okay? So... Um, so you got to live with the agreement. You got to live according to the agreement. You got to reaffirm that relationship daily. You got to remember that he's in charge because what happens, they sent the spies up. The spies came back and said, oh, it's great. No problem. We can handle this. We'll just send a few guys up there. We'll wipe out the city. We'll take it over. What happened was um, they went up and they got whooped. 36 of them died. They all went running home with a tail between their legs. And they got wiped out. And so we find that you've got to honor this partnership, this agreement with God at all times. Because life is a, is a war. It is a war between good and evil. And it's operating in your life and my life. It's operating in my own mind and my own heart. I've got to be in that partnership. I've got to be honoring that partnership every day. God, today, I choose again today to be on this side. Not self-rule. I submit to you again today. Sometimes for me, it's hourly, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. I've got to submit to that. I've got to live accordingly because disastrous things happen when I don't. So they go up to AI and they get whooped. And... Joshua falls down on his face. He puts dust. He's so sad. He's having maybe a little pity party, certainly some sincere questioning. God, why'd you bring us across the river? It sounds very familiar to the previous generation. It's like, oh God, you're so... And he's just kind of whining and asking questions and blaming God. And, and I love it because here's what happens. God says to Joshua, get up. It's a, that's the inflection in the Hebrew. Get up. And here's what he says. He says, Israel has sinned. In other, words, this, in other words, this isn't my fault your guys got whooped. You didn't even ask me to go to battle. The truth is you got whooped because of sin. You broke the covenant. There were certain things I told you not to do and you did it. So get up and deal with your sin and quit feeling sorry for yourself and quit blaming me. 
That was a word for somebody here today, by the way. You ever done that? Something didn't go well. God, what? Oh, yeah, it's me. Okay. So, sorry. You ever done that? So here, here's the, the thing. I've got 47 more minutes to go. Um, I want us to trust God with our future. God wants to be in charge of our future. God has a better future plan for you than you can even imagine. But So trust God with the future, but first clean your room. First clean your room. Make sure you're living on the right side of this deal. If you still want to continue to sell, yeah, God, I want you in charge, but I still like to drink a lot. I'm still going to pursue money above all else. I'm still going to cheat on my wife. I'm still going to, God's going to, <laughs> when you find yourself, by the way, this happens, it's, it's around here, it's cliche. Someone comes running, oh, my life is a mess. And everybody in the staff wants to go, yeah, we told you it was going to be three years ago when you took off and did this stupid thing we saw you doing. We all tried to warn you, all your friends tried to warn you, and now you're back here whining. Get up, clean your room, and get on with the future God has for you. It sounds harsh, but after a few years and a few million of these, you kind of go, yeah, I've seen this. I've seen this before. Now, I don't want to be unloving, and, but I just want to say most of the crud you're walking through, you caused. That's what's happening with Joshua. But here's what's interesting. God didn't give up on Joshua. Get up. There's sin. We're going to clean it up, and then we're going to go forward. There's sin. God always does it. He's going to point out the sin. Let's clean it up. Let's go forward. Because he always acts redemptively toward us. So clean up your room first. Let me just point out some things. You just need to know this, Okay. And, uh, and you're going to thank me later. Or maybe not. God won't sully his reputation to bless your unclean life. My mom's favorite passage growing up, I probably heard this multiple times a day. It's found in Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sins will find you out. You've heard me say that when major ministry leaders are exposed for having sin in their life, we all think it's a terrible thing from Satan. It's not. God's the one who exposed it. God doesn't put up with that. He doesn't need to cover your sin to protect his reputation. He needs you to have a pure soul. The only way that's going to happen is if it gets exposed and you have the opportunity to repent for it. Be sure your sins will find out. They will. It's getting quiet. Oh, it's going to get a lot quieter. When you're cleaning your room, look under your bed. Do more than give it a lick and a promise. That's my wife's phrase. Don't know what it means. Don't really want to know. I just want to read for you in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 7. Um, here's what it says. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. Now, what that's a reference to is that when they were to go to battle, a part of the covenant was that you don't get to take the plunder from it, put it into God's treasury so that we can grow this kingdom and God can use it for his kingdom. You don't get to keep anything. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them in their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. And here's another phrase. That first one's powerful. Here's another one. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now, I could do a whole series on these two phrases. I'm going to do two minutes on them. It'll probably be five. First one was, um, take, we have taken things devoted to God. Taking things devoted to God. This is a serious thing. So we have this sort of thing where we've put God in charge and there is this covenant. There is this agreement between us and God. And God says, you don't get to have, these don't belong to you. None of these belong to you. They belong to me. You will use them as I tell you. They will be, belong to me. And we say, okay, God, we're good with that. And then we don't do it. 
we've broken a covenant. We're not in a blessable position anymore. So Israel wasn't a blessable. God couldn't continue to bless them on this campaign until they dealt with this. So what had happened is one of the guys, named Achan, had taken some of the plunder from Jericho and hidden it in his tent. And because of that, God was like, nope, I'm out of the deal then. You guys messed up. Until you get blessable, I'm not going to bless you. I can't bless you. You're just not blessable right now. So one of the things we have to be careful, and we want to be God to be in charge of our future for real, and not just as a cliche and a nice little thing. If we really want God to be in charge of our future, we need to make sure we're in a position of being blessable. And so one of the questions we have to ask ourselves, do I have anything, have I taken anything that belongs to God, that is devoted to God? You know, well, you're saying, like, I don't know. Like, what can I? Well, let's start with tithe. That's where it gets really quiet, right there. That was the one. It says the first 10% belongs to God. God seems to take these covenants seriously. You can argue, why well, is it 10%? Yeah, you're right. It's probably more like 20, but let's start with 10. That's quiet enough. Okay, good. Um, what else? Let's see. Tithe, talents and abilities. Do you think those belong to you or did God give them to you to be used for his purposes? Not just for you to make money and have a comfortable life. Making money and have a comfortable life is great as long as you're using them also because they belong to God. What about, let's say, opportunities or your children? They don't belong to you. They belong to God. They don't belong to the state. <laughs> they, don't, they belong to God. God has entrusted you to raise them, to grow them, to care for them. All right, I need to take a time out here. I need to talk about something. I need you to not react, period, none, either side. Because I want to say something I think is important. Um, This week, there was a decision made by our Supreme Court. Now, I need to say to you that um, I am very much in favor of that decision. I think that what we have done in the case of abortion is awful, and our nation will be judged for it. Okay, so I am glad they made that decision. Now, no, 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 because here's the deal. I said, don't react. I understand why you're excited, but I find it hard to applaud for millions of babies who have been killed, okay? Here's what I want you to understand. I'm very much in favor of that. It makes no difference for us in California. Things are going to get worse here. So we haven't really accomplished anything here, okay? But let me also say that if you're a person who is online and doing a victory dance, shame on you. This battle is not a political battle and it's not about winning. It is about the care for those who can't care for themselves. And we dare not, as Christians, be ungracious in this moment. And if you're here today and you couldn't disagree with me or my stance more, I understand. Please come have a conversation with me. I'd love to talk to you about it. And if you're here today and you have been through this yourself, I want you to know that we're not condemning you we just have very strong biblical convictions about this. We love you. We care about you. And if there's brokenness and woundedness as a result, we'd love to help heal. Now, let me say this. In this moment, we as Christians, we are glad that this happened. But let's be honest. The issue is not abortion. The issue is what leads to having to make that treatment of a symptom of a different issue. The issue is one in which people are living outside of submission to God. And until we change hearts, we can change all the peripheral stuff we want to. But until we change hearts and people begin to understand there is a God who loves them and cares for them and wants to be in charge of their future and they can submit themselves to a loving God, we haven't done our duty. So the real issue is way back up here, several steps. Okay? It's not getting better legislation. I'm glad we did that. That's good. Good for people who gave themselves that. But you haven't solved anything. Because 
We've got to change the hearts. People need to know their loving creator, the one who died for them. And if we as Christians think that we're winning something over here, we're in the wrong battle. It is not a military battle or a legislative battle. As much as I'm glad it changed, it is a spiritual battle for the hearts and minds of people who need to know Jesus. Now you can clap. Is that okay? Yeah, okay. Cody's looking going, that would have been a lot harsher than that. This phrase, taking things devoted to God. You need to look at your life. Am I taking things that are devoted to God? The other question is, and the second was, it says to destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. In other words, anything that you have included in your life, in your practice, that is not helpful for you, that is not that is harmful for you and your and your and your maybe your family your marriage, get rid of it. You've got to keep the core pure. Here's what happened when they when they got Achan and they said to Achan, "What did you do?" He said, I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. Nothing about the future, nothing about the implications for the people around him. I just, in the moment, I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. And it cost him dearly. By the exact same words in Hebrew, the exact same words uh, that Eve said in the garden. I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. The exact same thing happened to David on the rooftop looking at Bathsheba. I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. Same thing Putin said, looking at Ukraine. Same thing you do every time you step out of God's will. I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. But living in submission to God means we realize the the consequences, the pain of stepping outside of God's will. Um, As I read, as I read, um, as I think about the Old Testament and God's God's covenant with us, that at through Jesus, that we can be forgiven, we can go to heaven, all this wonderful stuff, but that we must live in obedience to him. As I think about that, I, I, think, I think back to my growing up time in, <clears throat> in a church that <clears throat> most of you would consider legalistic. <clears throat> there were rules about women wearing makeup and, and just all kinds of crazy stuff. <clears throat> and I thought, well, that's just out of balance. But I've come more recently to look at things that God expects, less like a teenager trying to get permission to stay out all night or go to a party I wasn't supposed to, where mom and dad are just out to ruin my fun and they're being punitive, to the father's perspective. When that teenager asks, can I go to this party? Dad's going, no, 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 there's going to be bad things happening there. There could be bad things happening on the way home. No, I want to protect you. When God says, follow my instructions, He's saying it as our, as our heavenly father, as our parent, heavenly parent, in which he is saying, I know what is best. I want to do what is best for you. I was trying to think, what's an analogy? Because it's really harsh when God says, well, God should just love everybody no matter what we do. He does love everybody, but he's not going to let you get away with doing whatever you want to do when it's self-destructive. So here's the analogy I came up with, and I'll end with this. This covenant is about keeping us from self-harming and harming each other and becoming who God wants us to be. What if, as a parent, someone came to you and said, I want to abuse your child. Could we negotiate about how much abuse is okay? No, really, I just want to abuse your child. Is that okay? I just, I mean, just a little bit. Let's just talk about how much I can abuse your child. If you were like me, you would not only deny them that request, you would beat the snot out of them on their way out the door. 
you would just, you would be violent. And when, when people <clears throat> come after God's people, let's, let's take another example of this before I get there. What if your child said, Dad, I just want to try heroin. I just want to try it just once. I mean, it'll be safe. You'll be there. I just want to try heroin. You would say, that's absurd. That's insane. God is our Heavenly Father wants no amount of abuse is okay with God. Self-abuse, other people abusing us. He says, no, I've created you for more. I've created you for so much more. That's why I gave you this covenant, so that I could take you into the more, and you keep wanting to go for less. Zero amount of less is acceptable. Only more, only God's way. And anything else, I'm going to be harsh about it. I'm going to be harsh about stepping outside of my will. Not because I'm mean, not because it hurts me, uh, and it does hurt him, but not because it's about his ego. It's because it hurts you. Why do you slap your hands, uh, your child's hand when they stick it in the light socket? And if you don't, you should. You want that to make an impression. Here's what God's covenant says. Do life the way I want you to do it, and it will turn out great. I'll be in charge of the outcomes. My outcomes are better than yours. Do life on your own, you're in charge of the outcomes. And don't expect to be blessed. You say, that's harsh. No, no, that's real hope. That's the reality of hope. All this stuff is empty words. Things work out, things are... No, they don't. I can trust God with the outcomes because I'm living in covenant with him every day. I'm not perfect. I live, I, matter of fact, I live in a posture of repentance, which is the great thing about a loving God because his mercies are new every morning. And every day when I come to God to renew my covenant, to renew my, my commitment to this covenant, every day I come to, to recognize this relationship, to invest in this relationship, I am met with mercies and patience and love, and I get to grow again another day. This is the key to living your life. Because your whole life's going to be a struggle to live a covenant life. It's not about earning God's favor. I don't, I'm not faithful to my wife so that I can get her to love me. I don't know why, but she already loves me. I just want to honor that relationship by being faithful. I honor my relationship with God by being faithful to the covenant and the wonderful outcome of their blessings. They're wonderful blessings. Today, I want you to live a life of blessing based on truth. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that even though sometimes we have to talk about difficult things and sometimes um, it feels harsh, you are a good God. You are the God who loves us, who cares for us, and who has provided for us to have a different kind of life. Lord God, I pray that you will lead us into a life of repentance, a covenant life, a life in which the agreed upon expectations to the best of our abilities are lived up to and in which you never, ever fail your side. So today we thank you that we indeed can trust you in the future. And so today we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.